Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. There's often so much writing on the shoulders of young girls in this country. There's a pressure to look and talk and act a certain way, but they're all coming from different parts of your life, pulling you in different directions. In a bit, we'll head to the U.S.-Mexico border and hear about a girl who, despite, well, a lot, has to be the one keeping her family together. But first, our friends at Latino USA did this interview in 2018 with the author Erica L. Sanchez about her novel, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. It is currently being adapted into a Netflix movie by America Ferreira, and it's a YA book about a 15-year-old girl named Julia, whose older sister Olga is the seemingly perfect one. You know, she gets the grades, pleases the parents, all the big sister energy type stuff. And so when Olga dies suddenly, the friction between Julia and her family, her mom in particular, can't help but get more intense. And in this interview with Latino USA host Maria Hinojosa, they talk about how important it is to write about young girls who are difficult and flawed because nobody's perfect. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. Perfect. Her name is Erica Sanchez, and her debut novel is called I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. In the novel, she tells the story of Julia and her particular relationship with her well-meaning immigrant parents. The novel is set in Chicago, just like Erica's own life. Erica joined me in the studio to talk about how this novel mirrors her own experiences and how through her writing, she's trying to dismantle the idea of Latinas and perfection. Erica Sanchez, welcome back to Latino USA. Thank you so much. So, Erica, we had you on the show when you were working as a sex and love advice columnist for Cosmopolitan for Latinas, even though you really hate being called the Latina Carrie Bradshaw. She was a terrible writer. (laughs) (laughs) You are an established poet from Chicago. And the spotlight really shines on you when you write your first novel. It's called I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. And the main character is Julia. Right. Or Julia. Tell us a little bit about her. Sure. It's a coming-of-age story. Julia is a troubled, snarky 15-year-old girl from Chicago. And she is having a difficult relationship with her family, particularly her mother. I feel like a lot of immigrant daughters have this contentious relationship with their mothers because it's so difficult to understand one another. When I was growing up, my mom and I were just always butting heads. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that she grew up in El Rancho in the middle of Mexico, right? And I was very, very Americanized. And that's a common experience for a lot of brown women. I find it interesting how many young Latinas now talk about the fact that they they had real issues around their Latina-ness, their Mexican-ness, because the moms and dads were so kind of demanding. And so they like pushed, they actively pushed away their Latina-ness, their Mexican-ness. Well, it's hard to negotiate that. There's so much I love about my culture. I love the fact that we're so family-oriented and 
like a million other things, but there's a lot I don't love. You know, I don't like the misogyny, the patriarchy. And and when I was growing up, I pushed against those things and it created a, a lot of conflicts. You know, you use the term snarky to talk about your character, Julia. It's not what you think of when you think of Latinas celebrating their quinceañeras and wearing pink dresses. Like she's an American girl who's got an American teenage attitude. Yeah, definitely. And she's a lot of the times very unpleasant. And I think that's something that shocked people. And I think that's interesting because have you ever met a 15-year-old girl? I mean, I was terrible. Yeah, I was pretty terrible too. Yeah, I mean, you're angry at the world. Everything's so confusing. And you don't know what to do with that anger. So you like take it out on everybody around you. And so, in fact, you know, Julia, in your book, your character, she's rude. She's sarcastic. Often she doesn't know when to stop talking. (laughs) Why did you think it was important to create a character who is really difficult? I think that we're not allowed to be flawed, unfortunately. And I'm really tired of that as a woman. You know, I feel like I'm always expected to be pleasing and nice and and sweet and polite and all of that. And I'm not always that way, you know, and why aren't we allowed to be angry and to be flawed and to be a human being? It's just, it's frustrating. And Latinas are always portrayed as docile and quiet and yeah, and Julia is not that way. Um, She pushes against everybody. She doesn't like anyone telling her what to do. This book, when you were trying to get it published, it was rejected by some agents because uh, because what they didn't like the tone of the main character. Is right. that true? They didn't like her voice. And I said to myself, well, that's the best part. So I'm not changing that. And I, I took that as, you know, they were telling me that they didn't like the fact that this was a complicated, strong Latina character. I remember one rejection really was upsetting for me. And I I cried because it was really mean spirited. And I was just really upset. I felt really discouraged. But again, I felt like I didn't need to change the voice because I felt like that that's what made it special. And so I just held out until I found someone who believed in it. And finally, I did find an amazing agent who's been wonderful to me. It all worked out. So I think that's just a lesson for young women to just kind of stick to your guns. And if you believe in something, someone else is going to believe in it, too. A year has passed since the publication of their book, and I'm a follower of yours on Instagram. And so I was watching as like, you know, suddenly Erica Sanchez, the poet, has a novel and it's like constant smiles and you're getting recognition. And it's just like, oh, yeah, definitely. 2017 was just wonderful. Like so many amazing things happened. I was on the New York Times list, et cetera. And it was just a magical time. And then 2018 came around and everything seemed to fall apart for me. I went through a really, really tough depression. It started early in the year and it lasted about six months. And it was just the most challenging time of my entire life. And so I had all these like wonderful things happen. Then all of a sudden, I don't know, everything just kind of imploded. And then all of a sudden, you actually put on your Instagram. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you said on your Instagram. 
I wanted to be open about my struggles because it appears as if everything is magical for me. Um, but that's not really the case. You know, even though I'm incredibly successful and like very grateful for that, I still struggle with a mental illness. Like success doesn't cure depression. And so I went through this really dark time and I just I wanted people to know that this happens and um, that it's OK to ask for help and that it's OK if you're not OK. And so, yeah, I got a lot of really beautiful responses to that. I think people really appreciate vulnerability. And I also talked about my recovery because I wanted people to know that it's possible to to overcome issues like this. It's It's possible to. I don't think beat depression necessarily, but to to live with it and to address it. So what are you trying to tell the young, well, anyone who reads the book, but especially young Latinas? You know, if you're looking at them straight in the eye, if you're looking at a young Latina who's dealing with these feelings of like, am I good enough? I'm not a good Mexican. I'm such an American girl. Like, I'm so confused. I hate my life. What do you say to them? I want them to know that I see them, that I get it. You know, I want them to feel understood. And that's what I wanted when I was growing up. I didn't really have a lot of literature that spoke to me in that way. You know, I had uh, Sandra Cisneros and I adored her, but like, that was it. I didn't have anything else. And I wanted to write a book in which young women of color could see themselves and they could understand that it's okay to be depressed, that... It's something that is normal. Um, also that it's okay to be flawed, you know, because we don't really see characters like that very much. I think we're expected to be, like a, like the title says, we're expected to be perfect, both in society and within our families. And that's just not realistic at all. And so I just want them to know that I know that they exist and that it's okay. It's okay to be who they are. Thank you for putting it into words, Erica Sanchez. We really, really appreciate your work. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your interview. Erica L. Sanchez is the author of the New York Times bestselling novel, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original drama Time, starring Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, and Bella Ramsey, streaming at BritBox.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit SAATVA.com slash NPR and save an additional $200. 
Joanna, the main character in David Bowles' new book, They Call Her Fregona, actually previously appeared in his acclaimed work, They Call Me Ghetto. And in this interview with NPR Scott Simon, he talks about how when he went on book tour for Ghetto, young girls kept coming up to him being like, oh, yo, you gotta write a new book about Joanna. She's obviously the best. And as he says in this interview, who is he to turn that down? What does it mean to be in the eighth grade and sure, you're in love? How do you know? What do you do? How can you tell? Let's ask David Bowles to read from one of the poems that tell the story of Joanna and Ghetto in his new novel for young readers. They call her Fregona. I'll be your girlfriend. That's what she said. So I haven't needed to define this relationship. We make our feelings clear with detallitos, all the little things that speak louder than words. Like when I meet her outside of class one day and bend down to tie her loose shoelace. Or when we're walking home and I step too close to the road just as a semi-truck speeds by and she yanks me onto the grass. Or when we stop at the dollar store to buy ingredients for spaghetti, which we cook together at my house because my family's at the dentist. Or when I find her standing alone one morning, a block from school, looking sad. So I hug her from behind till she leans back into me, sighing. Or when one of Snake's minions trips me in the hall, but she catches me, and everyone applauds, she slowly pulls me straight, looking into my eyes. I'm a poet, but all these small gestures say more than any words I could arrange. David Bowles, the award-winning author from South Texas, who has set his books in that special place along the Mexico-U.S. border joins us now from the Rio Grande Valley. Thank you so much for being with us. No, it's a delight, Scott. Thank you so much. The young woman at the center of of the story, Joanna Padilla Benvenides, has been in some of your other works, most notably, they they call me Guerrero. Right. What did she do that said to you, I need my, hey, over here, I need my own story told too? (laughs) Part of it was readers. Early on, after They Call Me Guerrero came out and I was doing school visits in different places, Young women would come up after my presentation and congratulate me and tell me how much they liked the book, but then um, ask me if I was going to write a sequel. And when I said I was thinking about it, they said, you need to focus it on Joanna because she's the best character in the book. And when your readers ask for something, you'd be a fool not to follow their lead. Mm. And and tell us about that um, that nickname she carries, Fregona. Yeah, Fregona in Mexican Spanish is a nickname that means tough girl. It comes from the verb fregar, which literally means to scrub, but has come to be a euphemism for other words and basically means uh, to be tough, to, to be maybe a little annoying, to be hard. And she gets this nickname because, you know, she confronts life that way. She wants to protect the people she loves, her family, and so forth. And it makes her seem a bit cold and distant to people. But Wedo can see past that at the the special warmth that's inside of her. And their relationship is all about discovering each other. The story is sweet in so many ways. And it also gets tough. Uh, First day of eighth grade, something startling happens, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, Joanna's father is undocumented. And because of some outstanding uh, warrants and things like that for speeding. He's picked up in an ice raid and um, deportation proceedings begin. You know, it, it really puts a strain, obviously, on the romantic relationship between Huero and Fregona, but on the entire town. Um, 
in the first book, I was really trying to explore, you know, Weto's love of poetry and how he uses it to celebrate his community and find solidarity, even though because he's a light-skinned Mexican-American, he has more privilege than perhaps most people in his community. And in this book, I really wanted to to flip that on its head and show like the stresses and cracks within the community that begin to show when half of the town is advocating for Mr. Padilla to be allowed to stay in the country mm-hmm. and the other half wants him to be deported. So yeah, I mean, it becomes a story not just about the hardships Joanna goes through and how um, Wedo has to learn that he can't fix her problems for her, but also a lesson in uh, no matter how much we love them, the communities we live in, if you flip those stones over, there are worms and cockroaches beneath. Mm. Guero really wants to be of help, but it's hard for somebody who's in eighth grade, or for that matter, somebody who's 80, to be of help in a situation like this, isn't there? Yeah, it is really hard. And, you know, especially men, I don't want to generalize, but men tend to be socialized to be problem solvers, to fix things. I know that that's the way I was raised. And Wedo has to find, just as I have found over the years, that that doesn't always work, that sometimes you just need to listen. Sometimes you just need to be there for the people that are hurting and that your attempt to help them could actually make things worse. And that's what Wedo discovers, because he does make things worse, unfortunately. And that raises a question that the journalist in me has to ask. What happens to Joanna and her family is wrenching. But what are authorities supposed to do? And about half Border Patrol agents are from Hispanic families along the border. Yeah. When well-known laws are violated. One of the conversations I have with people a lot is the difference between breaking a law and being a criminal. Criminalizing people's search for a better life is problematic. And so, you know, for the longest time, I mean, my family on the Mexican-American side has lived on the border for two and a half centuries. And we have always had a place for people who needed refuge here. And it's only been in recent years that things have tightened up to the point where we can no longer provide shelter to those people, um, not easily anyway. And so, you know, I always argue in favor of uh, reforming these laws and making it um, easier f- for people along the border to take care of their own, their own being people who come to the border in search of a better life. You write so vividly about communities around the border in South Texas. Do you hope that young readers in Wisconsin and Minnesota and Vermont find something in your in your verse, in your story, too? I sure do. I mean, obviously, when I write about the border, I'm writing for border kids, uh, primarily. But I'm a big believer in this essential fact that the universal rises from the specific, and that by writing about stories that are rooted in the geography and culture and language of this place, I am giving people outside of my community a glimpse at the very human uh, lives that we live that will, I think, resonate with them just as their lives resonate with us. I'm a, a firm and staunch believer in avoiding this kind of homogenous, fictional bland kind of version of the U.S. in favor of stories that are rooted in the specificity of each one of our variegated regions. Um, We have such, you know, beautiful diversity, even within the white community across the country. And it's really important to me that those specific stories be told because they will resonate. David Bowles, his novel, they call her Fergona, a border kid's poems. Thank you so much for being with us. Likewise. Thanks a lot. 
And that's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. If you want more, you can sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter slash books. I'm Andrew Limbong. The podcast is produced by Naino Rao with help from Mason Tran and edited by Megan Sullivan. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show elements for this week were produced and edited by Taylor Haney, Rena Advani, Courtney Dorning, Kat Lonsdorf, Connor Donovan, Janice Yamoka, Hiba Ahmad, and Melissa Gray. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom-tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top-10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. This message comes from NPR sponsor MassMutual. The Financial Educators Council says 39% of Americans don't have someone to go to for financial advice. But you can plan for the short and long term with someone backed by 170 years of financial expertise at MassMutual.com. Is it possible to engineer our way out of the climate crisis? Some entrepreneurs want to shoot particles into the stratosphere to combat global warming. Experts say regulations on this technology aren't keeping up. The world of solar geoengineering on the latest episode of The Sunday Story from NPR's Up First podcast. 